Welcome to Fertile Minds Radio. Here you'll find wisdom for your fertility journey and beyond, chosen specifically to help you trust your body and elevate your spirit so you can enjoy the process. Join us and see what a fertile mind feels like. Now your host, Hilary Talbot Rowland. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fertile Minds Radio. I'm your host, Hilary Talbot Rowland. So if you are an avid follower of the show, you may have noticed that I took an extended holiday and it was not intentional. However, it was deeply necessary. And during my unintentional downtime, I gained some pretty valuable insights from many of our listeners. And that's what I wanted to bring to you today. So specifically, we're going to be talking about giving yourself permission to pause when you have experienced deep grief or someone you love is experiencing deep grief and loss, and what that looks like for you as the supporter. I've invited our lovely co-host Erin Gray back to the show to help us through this minefield to give us some clinical insight on top of my currently clouded personal insight at the moment, um, so that you can go about knowing with confidence how to help someone that is experiencing loss like a miscarriage and how to help yourself when you are the one that is actively grieving, especially because miscarriage is something that doesn't really seem to have a place at the table for grief in our society. And I want to try and change that with this conversation. So welcome to the show, Erin. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. I'm really happy to be here with you and um, I'm happy that we're talking about this not so easy topic. Um, I know that there's been um, some loss in your life recently, and I'm sorry for your personal loss, um, which I know we're going to talk about a little bit. And um, I'm glad that we are back having the tough conversation, and it's necessary conversation. Yeah, and there's just over the holidays and in our small community, there was a there was some profound loss too, some really tragic familial deaths and um, bizarre ways. And we just wanted to dedicate this show to all of those people. You know who you are if you're grieving and we're here for you. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> this is not your normal how to get all your resolutions in New Year's start. <laughs> no, but <laughs> we like to do things a little different around here. So it's good though. It's good. It's necessary. And um, I think it's a good thing to get some of these things cleared out in order to be able to go into the new year um, in a fresh way. So that's what we're going to do today. That's what we're going to do today. Truth syrup. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So over the holiday, I had a familial loss. I I lost my mother-in-law. And while that was difficult in grief itself, I was not all that close to her because she had Alzheimer's by the time we met. And I knew from my experience of 20 years with my grandmother, who I was very close to, who had Alzheimer's for 20 years, um, that what I was getting was a very clouded version of her. And there wasn't a lot of connection. There were, you know, a handful of lucid moments, but pretty hard to connect and really know somebody in that disease state. So it wasn't that I was so distraught with my own grief. Um, It was really the insight that I gained around supporting my husband and my four tiny men in their first loss. And just being able to be the observer um, and feel what it's like to be the partner. Because, you know, I have experienced miscarriage and profound loss at young ages in my life around loved ones. And so I'd always been the one grieving. I'd never been the one on the other side. And it really 
kind of drove it home for me about all those husbands and partners out there, what happens when you feel somewhat helpless um, and what it really means to just hold space. I mean, I think you hear that a lot. Right. But what does that mean to hold space for somebody? And and what does that do to you as the, the holder of the space and the caretaker, so to speak? And how do you know when your cup is filled and how do you go about emptying it? Because you can't empty it with the people that are grieving, right? Right. And so you're bringing up like a bunch of really interesting things as we open up today's episode. And um, one of the most interesting parallels that I heard you talk about was the idea of Alzheimer's and not really knowing the person. Mm-hmm. And the parallel of that with somebody who's had a miscarriage and the people around them not feeling that same connection to that mm-hmm. Um, potential life that the woman who is carrying does. So I think that one is worth paralleling. Yeah, that a lot of times I, I do hear that, that my husband doesn't quite understand. He doesn't have to wake up and go one day from feeling life inside of themselves to right. not being there. Right. And it is hard for them to connect. It's, you know, how do you connect to something you don't know? Right. So I think that's an interesting parallel in everything that you just talked about and wanting to address your, your idea of holding space, which I know we're, we're going to get into that a little bit more in detail as the show goes on. Um, it's, and I think this is the punchline to today's episode, which again, we'll, we'll drive home a little bit more um, as we get deeper into the topic is understanding and allowing for things to not be okay <laughs> for a period of time. Right. So just somehow finding a way to make it okay that things are not okay. Right. Right. Yeah. We're going to cover a whole list. If we don't get to it in the show, it'll be in the show notes of what not to say to somebody who's having a miscarriage. Because <laughs> I have heard some doozies and uh, I want to n- make some listeners out there feel not so alone. Right. And, and that really came true to me for, you know, as I was supporting a friend who was deeply grieving one of these bizarre uh, deaths that we're talking about. And I, it was in a text message. And my first instinct was to say, are you okay? Yeah. And I stopped myself and thought, well, that's a stupid question. She's not okay. You know, and I typed something of, I know you're not okay. Um, I can't imagine. I'm here for you when you need me. Right. You know, and it, it even caught her off guard of like crying and laughing. And if, you know, had you said, are you okay? I probably would have said, I'm fine and kept on going. And right. And right. we wouldn't have had a real authentic, meaningful exchange. Right. So I think that's kind of the whole the whole point of today's episode, right? Because um, Hillary and I did actually have this conversation this morning about when we say to people, which is so reflexive, are you okay after something tragic or sad or unexpected has happened, um, it's just this really reflexive question that we use that actually means a whole bunch of other things other than, are you okay? It can mean, I know you're not okay and I'm here for you. It can mean, I need to know that you're okay so that I can be not okay. It can mean, I'm not okay. Like it, it has a lot of loaded stuff around it. And it's just a very reflexive question that people often use because they want to be helpful, because they want to demonstrate their care. Um, and because they feel, quite frankly, 
probably pretty uncomfortable and pretty helpless in not knowing what to say or what to do, given a set of tragic circumstances like a miscarriage in what we're talking about today. So that is our long drawn out intro of how this show <laughs> jumped yeah. some of the others we were working on. You know, we've got, yeah, we have a few on deck. Yeah. We've got two or three topics on deck. We're, uh, yeah. you know, trying to figure out how to bring them to you in a digestible way. And this one just uh, jumped the shark, so to speak. It was right here in our lap. So that's what we're, that's what we're doing. Um, and, you know, the, the biggest thing that I think <laughs> that made me want to do this show and title it Permission to Pause was my first instinct when we found, like, I was on my, I was getting ready. I was about to walk out the door to go to work when we got this call that my mother-in-law had passed rather suddenly. Like, we knew that, you know, things weren't good, but it, it did happen sooner than we expected. And, you know, I'm standing there with my husband watching him. And he's like, it's okay, I can go, you go to work. And in that moment, I'm like, I, I could go to work. Like, I'm not distraught. Like, right. I can still sure. do my job and show up for these other people that I hold myself accountable to do that. And and then my kids flashed in front of my eyes, and I thought, they've never lost anyone before. Right. And what kind of message am I sending to them and what kind of person am I? What kind of partner am I, quite frankly, if I can't pause for 24 fucking hours, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. If I can't just say... This is more important. This is more important. The reverence of life is in the... Just just holding that and, and holding that space is more important than anything else I had to do today. And then, you know, time went on, it kind of snowballed and it was, then it was the holidays and then all these other tragic deaths. And all of a sudden I've been away from the show for a month. Right. And I found myself wanting to explain why I was away and that, and then I started to look at that of like this shame around not, not doing. Taking a break. (laughs) Right. Yes. And I feel I see this happen with miscarriage of like I just want to be distracted and I want to go to work and nobody knows and so I can't I can't I call out through sick it. I should yeah. power through right. it and my husband should go to work and it's fine it's we didn't know the baby anyways this whole litany of excuses of why not to pause and I I I just want people to know that it's okay to pause it's okay to pause it's not it's it's not just that it's okay to pause I think even more importantly is to understand that it is necessary to pause and why it's necessary to pause. So absolutely there is a time to normalize things, have your regular routine, have the structure of your routine support you if it's being done that way. But the way that you just described it, Hillary, was more of an avoidance, right? Mm -hmm. Like I can just power through this and not making space and room for the feelings and not making space and room for the reverence, right? Yeah, or other people's feelings. Or other people's feelings. might be really wildly uncomfortable (laughs) dealing with because I don't know what I'm going to get. Right. So that necessary pause to reflect and to honor and to feel And if you've heard other episodes that I've been on, you'll recognize this tag as, you know, it's a very patriarchal thing to just power through. And to take the time to honor your feelings and to revere that loss of life 
is a feminine nurturing space to be in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, if you are experiencing or have experienced a miscarriage or a loss, it is one of the ways in which I think it shapes that part of you so that you can be more nurturing for your family and teach them, right, of what you do with that grief and that loss. And when we were thinking about the structure of today's show, it kept jumping out of me that I needed to actually start with a pause. (laughs) (laughs) I want to just do a little mini meditation for all of those people, even if you don't know those people. Maybe you're living in China or Australia, where I see so many different listeners around the globe. Or maybe you just know somebody that's grieving or yourself. I just want to take a second and flow out some love to those people. So it's okay if you're driving a car. You don't have to close your eyes. I just want you to take a long, slow, deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth. And maybe maybe that exhale is audible of just letting go of some of those feelings or that space that you've been holding for somebody else. And now I want you to imagine that part of your higher self that is listening to my voice right now, that part that is really you. I want you to imagine that it's a big ball of light and you could push it down from your head into your heart and it could just absorb all the love that you have, the kind of love that you have for every living being without strings attached. And when you could just imagine that you could flow that out and that any stranger that is experiencing loss could feel that no matter what that they were doing, that it was like a, a warm hug comes over them. I want you to just observe what that feels like inside of you to be able to extend that to anyone. And now I want you to let that love flow back into your heart and Just allow it to fill your cup with connection, with the thought and idea that it will be okay, that love truly prevails always. And then let that go. And just know that it is that simple that you can do that when you need to hold space for somebody in your presence and you don't know what to say. It's okay to not say anything, to just flow that love. But you can't forget about yourself. Because if it goes in one direction, eventually you get empty and you crack. So just keep that in mind as you go about your day. And now we're going to get into the meat, right? All right, why let's Aaron do it. Is here. Yes. So thank you for that beautiful meditation. That was really nice. Oh, you're welcome. That was great. All right, let's have some meat. Okay. Okay. So most of us know the stages of grief, right? You don't really get through your adult <laughs> life without, you know, some counselor or teacher or parental figure explaining to them to you and how everybody grieves so differently. Um, and you can know that clinically, but it was right. really interesting to, <laughs> to go through it, to observe that yeah. personally. It's I, very different. I had five very different, <laughs> very different reactions. Uh, still reacting in um, your house, yeah. yes. 
and I I think that we can know them, but there's always like one or two stages mm-hmm. personally that we have a block to, or we numb out, or we think that we're not going to go through. I don't go down <laughs> denial. That's a river in Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So just for the sake of like grounding the episode and, and just to go through them and to understand that none of us are immune to any of these stages, let's just hit them real quick. So the stages of grief are depression, anger, bargaining, denial, and acceptance. And so what we want you to understand about these stages is that you may go in and out of them. You may go in and out of these states. They may not occur in any particular order you may feel like you've gotten to an acceptance phase and then for whatever reason you have another wave of another stage so you may feel like you've gotten to acceptance and then all of a sudden you're pissed or then you have acceptance like four more times and then you have acceptance like four more times (laughs) yeah so understanding that they don't go in any particular order you may have to feel several of them several times and you may have to go through waves of all these different feelings before you do get to the other side of it and have a sense of completion with it. Yeah. Yeah. So what have you seen lately? Cause you've, you've been exposed to some of these yes. uh, tragic passings that we've had. Um, <clears throat> what have you seen in your practice that sticks out that you just want to normalize for people and, and help people understand is right. As normal. Yeah. So I've seen a few things. And one of the most common things that I see, and just to note, like not just around grief, but we are talking about grief in particular today, is um, people thinking that they're not supposed to feel the way they feel, or they're not supposed to feel as intensely as they feel. Mm -hmm. Um, And like we somehow feel like we don't have permission to fully feel or somehow we rationalize our feelings. And usually it's around, I'm not supposed to feel this way. Or, you know, I had one, one of my kids asked me if they were okay because they didn't cry and they didn't feel anything except the sensation of like all the life being sucked out of their body. Like a numbness. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they wanted to know that there wasn't something wrong with them. Right. Yeah. And that numbing can happen too. Absolutely. When feelings are overwhelming and, you know, your kids are boys. So I think that that's not an uncommon experience Mm. to feel just a numbing when there's an overwhelming feeling going on. So that's normal too. In that whole, um, all those stages that we just discussed, there can be a numbing feeling too. And that's, that's normal. Now, if you stay there, that can become problematic. Right. Right. Um, so just getting permission to feel what you feel, feel it as intensely as you do feel it and not needing to rationalize why you feel how you feel. You just, you do, you feel how you feel. Um, and the other thing that I've seen in terms of grief, um, in my practice lately is like a feeling, a sense of feeling guilty, um, for what you feel. And it's often connected with somehow this has to do with the bargaining stage. I think Um, the guilt about that maybe prior to your loss, you had some sort of contradictory feeling or thought and you feel like you shouldn't have thought that. Mm -hmm. So for example, maybe you felt some doubt about your ability to parent or you questioned somehow the timing of your pregnancy and then had a miscarriage. 
So I've seen people put those things together and feel guilty about having had those kinds of thoughts. Um, and I just want to reassure our listeners that those thoughts had nothing to do with your miscarriage. If in fact you've had one recently or ever, um, they're not in any way connected. So I see people feeling really guilty when they start to make connections where there are none. Yeah. Don't you think that's kind of part of the blame piece? Like we'd rather, we'd almost, some of us would Mm. rather blame ourselves and take responsibility for something horrific than feel yes the pain yeah. right it's a diversion it's it's a diversion so feeling guilty can feel i don't know easier or more acceptable yeah. than just trying to make sense of something that is senseless right it's so crazy how the guilt and shame piece like oh yeah they're not real emotions they don't live outside of our own heads and we we construct this whole dance around them but it's that was one of the things that was staggering to me of like, why do I feel shameful that I paused? Like, yeah. you know, she wasn't my mother. Right. But, I ha- and I have work to do. And I was like, <laughs> oh my point. God, I clearly have a lot of work to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. on myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I totally get it. I totally get it. Um, so, I, I mean, I just think it's such a great example for your listeners to make it okay to take the pause it's okay to take that pause so that yeah guilt and shame are just ugly ugly emotions that we we wreck ourselves with and so that's something that i definitely see so i invite you to unravel any of that that you might have going on around your own um, loss or the loss of another that's close to you um there's no connection between a thought or a feeling you may have had and your current situation. And related to that, I see things around how people think they should feel. You know, like you just said, I it wasn't my mother. I shouldn't need to take this break. Well, you needed to take the break. Right. <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah, I got the cold uh, and the subsequent one nine hundred voice <laughs> to yes. prove that the universe That's thought right. I needed, you needed a, a break. bigger break. A bigger break. <laughs> yeah. I have the one nine hundred voice today too. I actually um have been sick as well. So we apologize. Yes. Um, But I think sometimes too, you don't realize the collateral damage around you too. Right. Right. Yeah. So you, I've seen how profoundly grief and losses affect the people that are peripheral to the situation. Um, Like I didn't experience any particular impact personally over the holidays, but I was experiencing it peripherally in my practice and in the lives of my several of my friends, you included. Um, and that, that those people that can be peripheral to the situation may have deep feelings of sadness come up or a desire to help and not know what to do or having their own old or unresolved grief get triggered, which is very, very normal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're listening to this and you've had a miscarriage or someone you love has had a miscarriage, understanding that that may trigger the people in your life um, and have feelings of sadness or other feelings that are unresolved come up for them too. And I would just want to make that really, really normal that that can be triggering. Yeah. And then that's not your fault that you told them. And that's not a reason to not share and seek support. Right. I feel like if the 
and Brene Brown talks about this, right? right. Like you got to shame it out. Right. And you got to you call your friend. You, you said, I had that horrible thought. And, but you as the confidant or the friend, you have to know yourself enough if you can't, if you can't hold that container, right? right? Like if you feel that you're getting triggered, that you actually, to, to be the best friend is to say, I can't do this right now for right. you. And I'm sorry. My brain wants to make it about me and it's, I don't want to make it about me because it's about right. you. Right. Right. And that comes from doing work on yourself. Right. Um, but that is in no way a permission to, to keep this secret. Cause that the secrets are what the give more what shame. Builds shame. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, shame lives in secrets. <laughs> yeah. And it is amazing how, whether it's a miscarriage or a loss, like I met my husband, like he didn't know how to tell anybody. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's um, something you and I have both seen in our practices. When a woman experiences a miscarriage, she doesn't know how to tell people. Yeah. Nobody wants to be Debbie Downer. Right. And and again, it's one of those like, why do we do this to ourselves? Like, yeah, it's, it's so, bullshit. It's so inauthentic. Yeah, it's bullshit. <laughs> it is. All right, so now can we talk about the man, the husband, or the partner, and what they might be experiencing? Because I feel like this is so often what is swept under the rug or like mislabeled, maybe. And this is something that you know, being the outsider and the supporter in this situation mm-hmm. in my own home instead of clinically, which is vastly different. It's very different. It, it really made me think about all the partners out there and the men and and handling that. So, yeah, it's a great question. And I think it is a in the big conversation that we've already said, you know, nobody wants to talk about miscarriage. And certainly this whole piece about how it affects men is not in this conversation either. So I'm really glad that you asked the question because I think our listeners really um, need to have some understanding about this. So for the men on the other side of this, they may be feeling helpless like they want to fix it, but they don't know how. Um, like they want to be supportive, but they don't know how. So if you're um, the person that's had a miscarriage and you have a partner that's you know going through this with you, you can let him know what you need. And at the same time, you may not know what you need and it's okay to say that too, because men have a sense of wanting to fix things. And in this case, there's certainly nothing to fix. No, you are not broken. You're ladies. not broken. This is not. There's nothing no to fix. Fixing. There's no fixing. But it's men's natural inclination sometimes to want to fix it. So to let him know what you need, how he can be best supportive of you. And then understand that he may be grieving too, but that it's not as obvious. So what you may see is he may go into his man cave and it can feel like he's avoiding or abandoning you. And it's really important that you know that he may be just grieving and need some space too. And if you can let him have that um, as your way of showing support to him. So in that case, you may need to lean on somebody else for your support and wait for him to come out of his man cave phase in order to be able to reconnect and, and talk about what's going on. Um, but understanding that he's not necessarily avoiding or abandoning you, but that that may be his way of grieving. Mm-hmm. He also may not feel much like we just talked about a little bit earlier going numb, or he may not really understand your deep feelings, especially if he's like a rational or logical kind of guy. 
And, you know, he might have that whole, well, we'll just try again mentality, um, which I want you to understand doesn't mean that he doesn't love you or that he doesn't want a baby. Um, it or may, that baby. Or that baby. Um, it may just mean that he's not as attached to it as you are. So in handling that, if you can just take a look at him holding that ground for you and holding the container for you, and it's not that he doesn't care, it's maybe just a sense that he wasn't as attached to it as you are. And that can be a tough one. Mm -hmm. It can be tough when they want to, their solution is to just do it again. Right. Right. And you are more fertile, actually, interestingly enough, the month after you have a miscarriage, which is like, seems like God's joke, right? (laughs) Big cosmic joke. Yeah. Why? Really? You're going to make me get back on this horse now? Um, and that's just because your body, all the receptors have already been accepting pregnancy hormones and things are, you know, wanting to move in the direction of creating life. And I, I think that this, this can go both ways because sometimes the man is very much like, well, just get right after it. And I will pretend like this never happened. Right. Right. And, you know, and sometimes the woman is that way too. That's true. And there's no discussion with the partner. It's assumed. Right. And... If the man is grieving and you don't have that discussion and you are the one that is like, hey, let's, let's go. Let's get on that horse. Uh, that can show up as physical problems in the bedroom. Yes. And you need to know not to take that personally and that that is a window to say, wow, I didn't really fully understand how deeply you were grieving this loss. And right. uh, now it's my turn for me to be there for you and let's let's pause (laughs) right and so that was my next point um in talking about what your the man or the husband might be experiencing is that i want you to consider that he may need a break from trying to conceive so that he can grieve so that he doesn't feel like a failure and just you know remembering that men in general really want to please their partners they really want to make us happy and So just consider that he may need a break in this whole process too. Right. Right. And, you know, consider that pregnancy maybe wasn't as concrete for him as it was for you. And so if you're seeing him engage in a lot of distraction and diversion, um, it's not always a bad thing when you're grieving. Um, Sometimes we just need to take our minds off of things for a while and have life feel normal again. So that's going back to that idea that, you know, consider that maybe he needs a break from trying to conceive. Yeah. And he may need a break and the break may be because he's not ready to grieve yet. Like some of us go through those stages of denial and we don't want to feel it or they're so wrapped up in their partner and making sure they're okay, that they don't tend to their own needs. And, you know, men are as hard as it is for you ladies to call up your sister or your mother, your girlfriend, a coworker, someone and say, I've just lost that baby and bring yourself to say that imagine what that's like for a man right like he's not going to show up to chicken wings and beer on monday night <laughs> and be like hey guys oh, it's not going that way anymore right like that's, that's <laughs> it's very not gonna unlikely <laughs> that's that that's going to happen and we were talking about how you know women are we're the receptacle, right? And so you have a problem, you go to your girlfriend and you jump on your girlfriend usually. If you're a man, you you, you either have a girlfriend, like that's a... Yeah, a, you, you not take a, it to some woman in your life, <laughs> yeah, right? Not a partner. Right. Or or if you can, your partner, then you emotionally dump on them. So, you know, they may need a break until they're ready to emotionally dump. Right. 
and and so the grief for them, like you might have to show up much later, like after right. it's resolved for you, because people are at different speeds all the time. That's true. And you know, and I, one thing that I have seen around um, men and grief is that I, you know I've I, have, I remember having this couple who had failed IVF and then a natural pregnancy miscarriage and the woman being like irate with her partner that she felt like he grieved the IVF loss more wow than the actual natural miscarriage because it was like and i had to explain that it wasn't that he was like a miser it was that he paid for something and right. there was an expectation right. right and he thought he was doing to get something and so there was a lot of anger and grief around that, which when then it just naturally was this so-called miracle right. and then it disappeared. It was like he never had that expectation because once you do IVF, like you, you don't you, ever expect to get. No, yeah. you never think that's going to happen. So right. he never held that close because he was terrified. Right. 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 And, and not that he was prophetic about it, but. You know, I had to explain, like, he's he's not a bad guy. He's right. a guy. <laughs> like, right. And he made an investment. And when we make investments, especially financially, we expect some sort of return on that. Yeah. So if that's your case, just having some understanding of how men perceive that a little bit differently. Yeah, because there can be grief around IVF and chemical pregnancies, which is, like, in some ways, even more of a cruel joke than the, the miscarriage because it's, like who the hell are you going to tell that you're upset about this? Cause it, it sort of happened or it didn't happen at all. Right. And people are like, what are you upset about? You never had it, but in your mind, you had it. You had it. Absolutely. You know? And, and I, the loss of a dream. Yeah. And there's no conversation for that. Like nobody's talking about this and it's, it's happened so much. And you know, this is, this is really common to the point where, and this is what is upsetting when I think about miscarriage, right? It's, 30% of the time, a healthy woman will miscarriage. That is the law of nature. It is a tragedy of biology, but it is also what has kept humans from way overpopulating the earth more than we already have, okay? Now, that being said, <laughs> when someone is just experienced a miscarriage, please do not say to them, well, you know this happens 30% of the time. Right. We understand you're trying to normalize that for them, but it's negating their loss, right? Especially when you tell the story of somebody that had a miscarriage and then boom, they conceived right away and you know, they got what they wanted. This is some stranger. It's negating the person's loss in that moment. Don't do it. <laughs> right. But if you're listening to this, you got to understand that that is, it's part of the risk in this huge reward of having a child. Right. right? right. And it, it's also part of, I think, I don't know. I think what makes people do their intense internal work before the children show up sometimes for some people. Yeah. And <clears throat> we're trying to make sense of something that in some ways just doesn't make any kind of sense. No, it's senseless. So this is a, a really good question that we actually didn't really talk much about, but I have because I, I, I've reflected upon it. Like one of my kids said, is this Shiva? That's <laughs> like, um, no, we're not Jewish, but this is our form of Shiva. It's not going to be seven days. I think they had seen a movie, maybe. That's you know? hilarious. They thought I was going to lock them up in the house because I did take their electronics away for a day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, let's, you know, and 
let's go outside and be together as a family and exercise and support one another and be healthy, right? (laughs) (laughs) And so it made me reflect upon like, holy shit, our society in the West has lost the custom of grieving. (laughs) Like we don't know how to. Right. And so why do you think that's happened? Oh my goodness. Well, it's it's interesting that you started with um, mentioning religion because I think we've lost a lot of our rituals and rites of passage as we've become a more secular culture mm-hmm. and that we've moved away from religious traditions, which is where a lot of our ritual originates, right? And a few other like cultural things that we are really scattered away from our tribes, meaning like our family of origin or maybe the religion that we were raised in, which all those things support ritual as well. Right. And culturally, we're also really far away from death. We don't often see death that happens somewhere else. It's kind of a cultural mystery. Westerners are terrible at it. We're (laughs) terrible at death. It's something to be avoided. I mean, like hospitals don't want statistics, you know, that people have died in their hospital. So they send them to, you know, nursing homes or rehab centers or somewhere else to die. Right. right? Um, People don't necessarily die at home anymore. Or if they do, the funeral home comes in and sweeps up the body very quickly. We don't handle our own dead anymore. They don't like you to watch. You know that when you have somebody die in hospice, they really, they recommend that you leave because they say it could be traumatic for you to see well, the body fluid. Can I just say that's crap? Because I did work for hospice for a period of time. <laughs> um, and I would help the nurses with sometimes with cleaning the body and preparing the body. And that's that whole idea of that kind of separation from death, I think, is one of the things that where we've lost those customs of grieving and that we are not accepting of death as a natural part of the life cycle. Right. It's the only it is the only guarantee guarantee. It's the only thing that is guaranteed. Like if you could only have one expectation, I'm going to die. die. We're all going to die. And (laughs) yeah. And. We're just very, very far away from that culturally. And you don't know when, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that is so crazy to me about miscarriage is like, you may not have been like super connected. They may not have had, you didn't know the sex or you had named them perhaps, but it was still a loss of life. It was a loss of life. Absolutely. And um, I think that's part of what keeps miscarriage out of the conversation is that it's also this distancing of... Um, not recognizing that as uh, as life, mm. um, which is a whole other conversation, right? Um, a culturally loaded conversation. But for the woman who's carrying that life, it's absolutely a loss of life. Yeah. I mean, unless you've experienced it, there are no words to, to describe it. I won't even try. But and, and I think another another reason we've lost touch with the custom of grieving is that we've lost touch with the point of ritual, like our culture has become productivity oriented. Like when you were saying, like, can I take a day off from work just to, you know, be with my family? Like we're productivity oriented. We value logic and reason. And we've really lost touch with the point of ritual. Um, we think we don't need ritual. We don't understand how ritual serves us in our healing process. Maybe we don't think we need the healing process. Like we talked about earlier, just powering through. So the reason ritual serves us in the case of, you know, death and grieving is it helps us to say goodbye. It helps us to let go. It helps us to accommodate a new reality, a new normal. And it's an opportunity for the ones who are grieving to come together in mutual support 
or to support the people who have experienced that loss as a primary loss. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the things that you rob yourself of when you don't pause. You rob others from showing up for you and your tribe will emerge, right? And it is it is often sometimes the last people that you thought would right. show up for you do and, and new bonds are, are forged because of that. And you have to be courageous to, to you know, I'm, I'm not saying like get on Facebook and cry, but I, I mean, you have to, you have to actually let people in, right? Right. To, to let people in to support you. And that can be scary when you've just had loss because you don't want to be rejected. And you're so vulnerable. Right. It's an incredibly vulnerable time. Um, so you do want to take some care in how you reach out to others for that support. Um, your frenemy is not the person to call after you've had a miscarriage. No. No. But I think it's a time to be gentle with yourself and to decide what your rituals are. And, you know, and then this is just a side note for if this, if this conversation is sparking something in you, one of the most profound um, things that I've ever read was a complete surprise. It was in Ram Dass's book, Polishing the Mirror, which I think is his best work yet. And, you know, if you don't know who Ram Dass, he's, you know, one of the original hippies of the 60s and he had, a, you know, enlightenment and then he had a stroke and he writes about what it's like to be, think you're so-called enlightened and then have somebody have to wipe your butt. <laughs> and his chapter on death yeah. is so poignant and so spot on. And he really does do a really great job of, of addressing this question about like why Westerners are so terrified of death. And I, I think it's because it's connection and it, it forces you to actually be present, which right. is terrifying for a right. lot of people. And, you know, the biggest thing that I think that you and I have gotten out of this and what we talked about of being on the periphery of, of this grief in the last month is just the, like, you can know it in your head, but to feel it in every cell in your body that life is so precious and Time does not exist, and it can be two days. It can be 90 years. You do not know when your time card is up. Right. And you have to you have to be present and make amends and live life like every day, and that sounds so cliche, but... But it's different when you are in that place where the veil has become thin. So if you have recently experienced a loss, you'll, you'll feel that resonance with what we are saying, because um, there are these moments in life where the veil does become very, very thin and you can feel the truth of what we're talking about. And so I encourage you, if you have had a miscarriage, whether it has been, you know, very, very recent or it's been, you know, some period of time that you take some time to have some sort of ritual to honor that life, to honor yourself in that experience and to give yourself a sense of closure around that so that you can heal and experience that profundity that Hillary is, is speaking about um, in that creating that space and that pause. Yeah. And I, you know, I've over the years, I've had some women share with me some really great rituals that kind of organically sprang out of their heart, right? If they just felt moved and called. It wasn't around their religious upbringing, you know, and it, some of it is as simple as lighting a candle uh, at a certain date, you know, or on the anniversary. You know, another was as, you know, 
what some people might consider out there. And it was burying some of the menstrual blood, right. you know, of the laying it to rest with right. the flower, you know, of like the circle of life. And not only is the ritual part important for your heart, but it's important for your physical body. And here's why. So in traditional Chinese medicine, there's this concept, and this is a culture, mind you, that did not really hold women in the highest regard, right? <laughs> yeah. And they thought if you accidentally dripped your menstrual blood in the long place, you would offend the gods and evoke the wrath of disease upon your whole family for a while. This is like 4,000 years ago. Um, but they didn't, they did have this important piece where they understood that it was more difficult physically, mentally, and spiritually on a woman to miscarry than it was to carry to full term deliver and breastfeed for a year. And the reason being was, is that the moment that your body recognizes that you have created life, it starts doubling hormones, it starts doubling your blood volume. And so your body is on this like uphill charge of making things for 41 weeks, right? You know, it plateaus somewhere in the middle. And then all of a sudden it says, can't make anymore. We're going to start breaking down cells. And that's when the baby gets the, the kind of hormonal signal of get out. (laughs) It's not safe anymore. (laughs) Let's leave. Um, But when you have a miscarriage, you're climbing that mountain and you're building, building, building. And then all of a sudden it just comes to a screeching halt. It's like a horrific car crash, right? Mm. And then you lose all that blood through the placenta. And when you lose blood from Chinese perspective, you're at a higher risk for depression, anxiety. You know, in my mind, especially if it was something that was late, that was post six weeks, like, you know, eight or 12, God forbid, 20. Those women are, in my mind, you know, clinically, I am looking for way worse of a postpartum depression than I would find in a woman that carried to term. It's, it's devastating. And there's no support system for that in the Western medical field. Like, they don't even want to be bothered by you when you're having a miscarriage half the time, right? Like, I've, I've been like, no, you're past a certain week. Like, let's have a tough discussion about whether you do this naturally or you have some assistance and you are watched while this happens because that can be, there's closure to having the miscarriage on your own. And mm-hmm. I do think that that is more times, especially early on, healthier for you. But it can also be devastating at 12 weeks to have a miscarriage and be by yourself and experience that amount of blood loss and see what resembles a child, right? Yeah, it sounds incredibly traumatic. So, yeah, there just needs to be an ability to have a conversation with somebody you trust and a healthcare provider to be able to make some difficult decisions of like, how do we go about this, right? What's the best situation for you, right? Right. And so to be able to have um, a medical professional that you trust that you can talk to, maybe it's your doctor, maybe it's your acupuncturist, maybe it's a therapist, um, maybe there's an online forum for you to get support. Um, I think that the point that we're trying to drive home is for you to not have to go through this alone, right? So it's already can feel like such an isolative experience for a number of reasons, whether it's, you know, the physical symptoms that Hillary just described, whether it's um, the really complex emotions, uh, you know, whether it's a feeling of shame, we don't want you to have to go through this by yourself. Um, so know that there are many other listeners who are 
you know, taking this in with you so that you have some sense of community around this. Um, but please don't be afraid to, you know, reach out to your helpful people, whether it is a professional person or whether it is your own support system, a mother, a sister, a friend, a cousin, an aunt, a coworker, um, so that you can experience having some support for what is a very real loss. So that was pretty heavy and intensive conversation, but we did kind of want to do these sound bites of, we wanted to cover some topics about like maybe what you don't say to someone that's miscarrying. Cause I've heard some pretty awful things. Um, and this is just cause people don't know. So, you know, maybe there's somebody that needs to be enlightened about emotional what not intelligence to say. <laughs> and you need to just forward these last 10 minutes to them. Right. Yeah. Just skip to the last 10 minutes. Um, so saying, I'm sorry, you didn't do anything. You didn't make this happen, right? It's, uh, how about trying, I'm sorry for your loss. I'm suffer. I'm sorry that you are suffering. Not, I'm sorry, and making it about you as if you had somehow made this happen, right? Right. And so, and, and along those lines, too, um, asking if the person would like to talk about it. Because yes. maybe they don't want to talk about it. Or if they do want to talk about it, shutting up and listening is really, really important just to be able to offer somebody that gift of being heard is a, it, that's a big gift. Yeah. That's the, and, and to be just, you know, you're going to be uncomfortable and that's okay. Put yourself aside for 10 minutes. Right. We already said, you know, don't say, are you okay? Clearly they're not okay. Never ever ask them, are you sure it was a miscarriage? Oh my God. That's so horrible. Don't say that. Yeah. I, that, that happens. You would be shocked about, you know, someone, you know, their mind is speaking for them, you know, and while you may have that question, don't ask it. Not your business. Of course, if they're grieving this hard, it was a miscarriage. I don't care if it was two days or 12 weeks. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Um, never ever say something like, mm, Maybe God just didn't see children in your future. Oh, my God. That kind of spiritual arrogance, that is enough to get you bitch slapped. Oh. Please don't say those things. Yeah. So trying to have a spiritual perspective may be helpful if the person experiencing the loss has a spiritual orientation, but trying to make meaning out of an experience before they've had time to grieve is not helpful. The time to try to make meaning out of the experience is when the person who's experienced the loss is ready to make meaning and perhaps initiates that conversation. Don't go initiating a conversation about making meaning um, for the person. And certainly never say, dear God, you can try again. You're young. You're healthy. Don't say that. Don't say that when somebody's in the midst of deep loss and sadness. No, at that point, they feel so broken. They feel like their body has betrayed them. Maybe their God has betrayed them. Like, unless they go opening those cans of worms, do not have that conversation with them. Know that it's quite okay to say nothing, right? It's okay to say nothing. And it is okay to even say, I don't know what to say. How can I support you? Right. To ask. To ask. Right. And that, that affords the person that is grieving the opportunity to do some introspection about what they need, not what is missing. Right? Exactly. Um, 
And then this is a huge one. For the love of God, we know that maybe you didn't want to hear this secret. and Maybe it's too much for you to contain. If you can't keep a secret, tell them before they tell you. Respect their privacy. Respect people's privacy. If you think that there's someone in your circle that can help better than you, as maybe more well-equipped, ask their permission to tell them, right? It's just, it's not okay to just share that around. No, not okay. Some people grieve in a deeply private way. Right. Right. So we want to know what you had happened because if it happened to you, chances are it happened to somebody else. So if somebody said some really terrible effed up thing to you while you were miscarrying, you know, feel free to write it in the comments or, you know, email us personally. Cause or, yeah. Or if you've had a really great experience of being supported, what was most helpful for you? What kind of support, what kind of words, what kind of actions were most helpful for you? We want to hear that too, so yes. that we can pass that along to the listening audience and, and share that as well. Right. Cause there's, we know that there's plenty of people walking around with foot and mouth syndrome, right? We, <laughs> But, you know, some people might really, truly want to know what right. to say. Exactly. Right? And so maybe you're maybe you're listening to this because you're trying to help somebody and you don't know how. Right. Right. So hopefully we've provided those tools for you. Hopefully we have maybe normalized your grief in a way that makes you think, God, I wish I had known that when it was happening. Right. Right. And we hope. That if you're listening to this and this has not happened to you, we hope it never does. That's right. Right? Absolutely. So thank you for your time. We have never been more sure of anything that your time is your most valuable asset. And we appreciate that you have spent the last hour with us. So if there's anything that you want to hear from us, please let us know because we are here to serve you. Absolutely. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Fertile Minds Radio, hosted at www.ladyportions.com, where you'll find past episodes, show notes, and free meditations. If you've benefited from what you've heard, leave a comment or review so it makes it easier for others to find this valuable wisdom. Let's help elevate each other. Thanks for listening.